0: Hey, welcome back to a podcast that is now officially called uh, Postscript. I'm John Muller, and this is Kyoto Football. Wow. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome to the second episode. Complete dead air right here. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to start this. So. <laughs> okay, hold on, no, so we're, we're just gonna start over. Uh, yeah. Hey, welcome back to a podcast that is now officially called Postscript. I'm John Muller. This is Teodal Football. Hello. And you're here in the uh, the second episode now. The first episode seems to have gone over pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been cool to hear some feedback from folks. I mean, the community, this is a very niche podcast. And the the community, I think, in large part, has been receptive. We've got some feedback that is encouraging, some constructive criticism. That mixture of, of everything in between.
0: I would say for sure that uh, going to the Wayback Machine for 2010 blog posts is a niche pursuit. Soccer analytics <laughs> itself and soccer tactical analysis, all the stuff that we're going to cover here, you can't even call it a niche anymore. It's huge. And so it's it's really cool that like some of the people who weren't there in 2010 are also curious about what was going on back then.
1: That's right. That, that's the other big... Sort of feedback we've got is people that weren't there saying thank you because I really don't know any of this stuff, um, and these are people that are like in football or 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 writing blogs or on Twitter, any anything and everything in between. It's very cool.
0: And to be clear, I also was not there in 2010. I was not reading these blogs in 2010. I didn't know they existed, and yet I was blogging. I was thinking about this this morning. I started my first blog in high school in probably like 2001. And oh, that's badass almost everybody that I know, like had, you know, some kind of personal blog. I think later I had a blog about movies. This was just what people did. They started blogs about everything back then. Um, and yet we don't see the kind of soccer blogging that we're interested in pop up until 2008, 2009, which is a little surprising, right? Like the most popular sport in the world, nobody's blogging about this stuff during those eight years when everybody else was blogging about everything.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And, um, we're starting i mean we're sort of starting with like blogs dedicated to statistics and and analytics and tactics as we'll get into soon but i i know it's out there before this right like i think it's i think it's in forums it's the occasional post here and there there are some other sort of threads that that we're we're investigating to make make sure we're we're comprehensively covering um what we could call the beginning of this, but I, I do, you know, it's worth emphasizing, like we started episode one, we called it the spiritual birth of soccer analytics blogging because it has this sort of beginning component of the, the conversation starting to happen between two dedicated um, soccer math blogs. And then today we've got sort of another kind of beginning that actually predates it and sort of chronology yeah. we think um, yeah. there, there are others swirling around that we can investigate. And there are also gray areas between what is a soccer analytics blog and what is some other kind of blog and what is a blog like there are also publications that have hard copies that perhaps are posting online as well there's a lot of places to go but you know i i would say there's going to be a lot of beginnings on this podcast especially at the beginning and the opening episodes there's a number of ways this thing starts we like it that way it's hard exactly to to tie it into one person the other and probably the the thing we're least interested in is giving credit specifically to, to an individual for being uh, first. Yeah. Having yeah, said I, that, I really uh, like, <laughs>
0: oh, no, please go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I mean, having said that the, the topic of today's podcast is one, I mean, one reason that it is cool is it's so early and the, and this individual, what he's writing about feels so far ahead of its time conceptually as well. And, and so, and, and it's also sort of a bridge between this sort of blogging and pre-blogging moment. So I, I'm excited about it.
0: I like I like the formulation of many beginnings because it doesn't necessarily matter who was first, even though the analytics community in particular loves to fight about who was first and everything. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but it doesn't matter. Um, and it doesn't matter in part because all of these people, at least that we've talked about so far, these three people, when they started their own blogs as far as they knew, they more or less were the first, you know, maybe they had read a couple posts from each other, but they were also each pursuing, you know, kind of unique pursuits. And uh, yeah, they were all sort of starting from scratch here. And so yeah. why we called it the spiritual birth of soccer analytics blogging last time was not because it was the first soccer blog. It was because it yeah. was when this became a self-sustaining conversation, when people were meeting each other, when they were exchanging ideas And building on those ideas in a way that has continued a conversation to now right
1: that's exactly right and and when you talk about they met in person as well that was that was sort of the tail end of of our episode on, on the first one we had chris anderson just to recap right chris anderson the academic he's blogging uh his blog is read by sarah rudd in computer science and programming they're responding to each other online um, Howard Hamilton is blogging as well. The topic of today's blog, and he is also there at the MIT Sloan Sports Conference in 2011. When they meet over drinks, he is sort of uh, he's one of the only one of the only people there. And so it's a good segue into today's podcast to talk about him and to talk about the kind of stuff he was interested in, his influence, et cetera.
0: That's right. We talked about a conversation between Sarah and Chris, but there was a third person at that meetup. A third person who was part of this initial conversation, and he had been blogging about his own interests uh, in soccer since, I think, 2008 is when this post is from, right?
1: Yeah, so so Howard Hamilton starts Soccer Metrics, which is a dedicated soccer analytics blog, in January of 2009. However, he's got a blog before that called Hexagonal Blog, where he's blogging about CONCACAF, World Cup <laughs> qualifying, the U.S. men's national team, sort of all matters of soccer in this very traditional blogging way that you're talking about pre-09, right? Yeah. Um, so this is a great example of where a soccer analytics blog sort of births out of an existing blogosphere. And, and, in truth, like we find all of these, all of these writers in these, these early stages are referencing non-analytics blogs that are out there when, when they do sort of cross reference and backlink, they're talking about Brian Phillips run of play. And they're they're talking about a number of these other blogs and current events Mm -hmm. that are happening. But the, the principal topic of today is this post that Howard puts out on his old hexagonal blog in November, 2008, um, It's a post about Moneyball and and soccer analytics and whether Moneyball is going to work uh, in soccer Mm -hmm. way ahead of its time. I think it's either the the reception of this post on his old blog or a reflection upon it makes him want to start a dedicated soccer analytics blog, which is what becomes Soccer Metrics in January of 2009. Um, So before we jump into that post, I mean, I guess we should introduce him and what he's about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did warn everybody last time that... All these people start with Moneyball, and we're going to get to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, I don't know. I'm sick of talking about Moneyball. Everybody's sick of hearing about it. But it is interesting as an origin point. However, it wasn't that Howard Hamilton was just reading a Michael Lewis book and then writing a response to it. He was also reading sort of a different set of thinkers than maybe some of our other soccer bloggers were. One thing that you mentioned to me... You know we explained to the to the kids last time what a blog role is and you said that yeah. howard's blog role looks different than other, other people's can you tell me who he was reading and why like where did he come from
1: yeah so so howard you can look him up on on linkedin he 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 has a phd in aeronautics and astronautics i think that makes him a rocket scientist i'm i'm uh, pretty sure that's what that is <laughs> I mean, he,
0: yeah that he's a literal rocket scientist
1: and he got that from stanford um i think there's it's funny in Roy smith's book uh howard's not named but there's a line that one of the early bloggers is a rocket scientist and i he's got to be talking about howard um yeah, but we yeah we talked about blog roles and when howard starts in 2009 and you can through the internet archive you can go pull up his old um what the, what the blog roll looked like at the time i should mention howard's howard's blog is still alive and active he posts today mm-hmm. about argentina soccer and an analysis there. So he's one of the few ones that is fully preserved in the sort of normal way on the internet that we think about that it exists on a server. And, uh, but to go back through to get a feel of what he's reading at the time, you can go back through and page the internet archive and see that in 09, his blog role, and I think he calls it a blog role, it's more just uh, research groups that he's linked over to, like academic research groups he does have prozone a performance analysis software but he's got journals of statistics coming out of you know educational institutions he's got the, the department of statistics the swiss federal institute of technology he's uh, referencing professors um and he's got a, a professor demetrius Carlos at athens university of economics and business so his blog role what he's reading at the time is very much uh not he's not referencing other soccer analytics blogs i think in part because they don't exist yet and mm. sh- and sure enough like in 2011 when the events of our, our episode one of our podcast transpired he will transition and he will add a, a group called soccer analytics blogs and it's the it's the names we know it's it's sarah rudd and and chris anderson and others uh, but you're right at the very beginning he is like he's almost more of a, an academic in this way and he and he blogs about um academic white papers. That's sort of a common post he would do in these o- early years is to take a white paper uh, and, and review it and talk about it.
0: What kind of white papers was he looking at back then?
1: So he's, I mean, I think they're sort of all over the place There, you know, he's aware of Reap and Pollard. Um, mm-hmm. I think he makes reference to them. I think, I think Chris uh, does as well at soccer by the numbers. but so And,
0: and you know, we may talk about Reap and Pollard in some future episode, yeah. but we, we mentioned last time that academics have been looking at soccer uh, in their own circles for many, many years. And yeah. Charles Reap is probably the most famous of those. And by the time that the analytics revolution, revolution, I hate that word, but by the time sure. that soccer analytics really takes off, everybody's talking about Charles Reap. Um, and he did some yeah. really groundbreaking stuff. So it is relevant that Howard in particular was, I think, helping to bring some of that knowledge into the blogosphere early on, right?
1: That's right. And and I think he would describe it this way as sort of starting at this very, I don't know, I mean, it's a very robust level of analysis, I would say. And, and he looks at current white papers that are passing around to things that are, are very interesting, we might need to return to someday um, here. But, but I think, you know, that And he also, by the way, blogs very informally Um, when new, when he, when he sees new traffic show up in a certain region in the United States, which would have been coming out of his sort of blog dashboard, I assume, um, Mm -hmm. you know, he welcomes them. He says, thanks Sounders fans. He sees a bunch of traffic in (laughs) Pacific Northwest. Um, He's got, um, you know, the best way to do
0: numbers in American soccer writing is still to like stir up Sounders fans. (laughs) learning out of dance. That's
1: right. He, yeah. And he blogs. I mean, he blogs about his personal life. He blogs about moving. I think he starts in Arizona and he moves to Atlanta. Um, he, he blogs about submitting uh, research papers to conferences and whether they're accepted or rejected. And he blogs about the conferences themselves. He is, in addition to just having this more academic background, he is also like a real leader over the years and pulling all these analytics bloggers together and analytics um, professionals together. At the MIT Sloan conferences, mm. so I've I've heard offhand that you know a common thing would be the this this 2011 meetup that we described in the last episode between just a handful of people over beers. This continues annually at MIT and and I think other conferences probably. And it, it would not be uncommon to see Howard Hamilton give a speech and a toast at the you know when the when the analytics group sort of. Uh, falls in into the into the pub uh and he might remark on how it's grown over the years. Right. So he's sort of all over, all over this history. We wanna you know, we wanna honor that today. Um but I but sure. I do think I mean you're you're most interested in, in like his very first post as as we mentioned.
0: I am because even though he had read what little was out there, I think at that time, he was still essentially starting carte blanche with what is soccer analytics and yeah how should we do it and will it work and why all of these questions that essentially just came from like reading Moneyball and then thinking, okay, what would soccer stats look like? Because I went back, you know, after we talked about this a little bit and I was looking at what were soccer stats in, you know, at the 2006 world cup at the 2008 euros, uh, because, you know, memory is fickle and I can remember some early soccer stats, but in 2008, it was really, really sparse. I think that, you know, yeah. I found a Eurosport post that was like counting goals, red cards, yellow cards, corner kicks. I found uh, maybe it was on the BBC, but some sort of post around the 2006 World Cup that had distance run, sprint speeds, you know, early yeah. tracking data stuff. Um, and, but that was know- that, that was about it in terms of what soccer stats were at the time. And I, I don't think that Howard had any kind of data when he wrote this post, right?
1: that that feels right very limited i mean and and we know that opta is around and and prozone is around that's right and there's data companies collecting this data uh years and years before this post happens but uh you know that's it's a topic we can return to probably some of the time as to the public availability of data and and whatnot but you're right i think back to to these these uh, seminal memories and my soccer memories in my mind and they're, they're not full of public detailed data
0: right yeah but the whole reason i wanted to go into that is just that the question here is what should soccer analytics be if we really it the field doesn't exist soccer stats are effectively imaginary how should we imagine them
1: yeah and this is this is really tough because we could have chosen to cover this blog post like at the end of this podcast whenever that Mm -hmm. is having gone through the entire soccer analytics history and having walked through the kind of things people ended up talking about a ton on the blogs. um, Yeah. The soccer analytics blog history, I should clarify. Um, And then it would, it would really put into contrast like how cool this stuff is that he's talking about here. And, and so, but, but it's also important to like cover him now because he's, we're starting at the beginning and we're going to have several beginnings. Right. So that this, the kind of stuff he imagines here is very cool. We should, return to it often probably and and reflect on like where soccer analytics blogging might have gone is sort of a vision painted out here as well so what do we do do we read this post
0: i think we read the post let's let's right. read it a paragraph at a time and just kind of pause yeah.
1: sure so i'll do this and then you can you can stop me.
0: <laughs> you've got a good reading voice go for it yeah uh, so
1: thank you howard says a couple of years ago i read michael lewis's Moneyball, which is an excellent book on the 2002 oakland ac- athletics and the behind the scenes maneuvering that assembled that team i was living in the bay area when the a's went on their 20 game winning streak and i remember the excitement in the east bay during the time so the book appealed to me on that level we should note a, a ton of soccer analytics blogging kicks off after the movie Moneyball comes out this is <laughs> yeah, no, nobody the read the book they just ago. saw it yeah but, he, but howard read the book um yeah. He says, uh, but it's it's more than just a baseball book. It's really the story of the use of statistical methods to assemble a team in a sport so heavily depending on scouting evaluation, despite the reputation of being a statistics-heavy sport. Now that the A's are running the San Jose earthquakes, MLS team, and the architect of that approach, Billy Bean, is seeking to apply it to soccer, the following question has to be asked. This is the crux of the post. Can a moneyball approach be successful in soccer? And we're going to, over the decades, we'll this post will be rewritten by many people like several times at different points but this is kind of the first one can a moneyball approach be successful in soccer
0: yeah and and one thing that everyone has to grapple with is what does that question mean and i think that he correctly identifies just in this opening paragraph that it's the use of statistical methods to assemble a team it's fundamentally a book about recruiting not so much about how to play baseball better than how to recruit better baseball players. And in baseball, that line can be very thin. Recruiting and playing the game are almost the same thing. Now it's possible that like Bill James, if he had better data, could have written posts about why you should do more infield shifts or why you should throw sliders, you know, low and inside or something like that. But as far as I know, that's not what he was doing because he was working with box score data. And it was really more about the traditional baseball stats don't tell you Who's going to help you win let's find yeah. better stats that will do that or at least those those were the bill james posts that billy bean was interested in because he was actually running a team
1: that's right and howard will identify this in this post there's solving soccer or understanding it better i always say solving soccer pisses people off mm-hmm. um <laughs> and then there's recruitment and identifying players right and these two things are really important in soccer they're often very important to together to understand the sport i think but it's it's you're right moneyball is ultimately this focus on where the rubber meets the road how can we grab these insights develop insights better and then turn them into wins right so so he says can a moneyball approach be successful in soccer and here's like a really surprising immediate plot twist for the original soccer analytics blog post sort of he says, well, I believe there are some very intriguing questions about the applications of statistics in soccer. In general, I think the answer to the original question is no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's it. We started soccer analytics, and we killed it off in two paragraphs. It's done.
1: Yeah, here comes the outro music. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, we can just keep going through this, because, I mean, that's really fascinating. Obviously, his blog is active today, um, and I don't know. We, we, we should ask him, like, I Every mean, feels the same way but in a way it's just it's he's definitely right too yeah he's, he's <laughs> wrong and he's right that's what's beautiful about these posts um well
0: but he doesn't he doesn't end his post here either right the he answer doesn't. is no let's keep thinking about it
1: yeah this is like for a rocket scientist i mean this is like i love i love their writing here um mm-hmm. so he says i believe that the objectives of a systematic statistical and mathematical approach to soccer are twofold One, to obtain insight into a particular game, player, team, or season, and two, to identify talent. So these are the two categories I'm talking about. There's sort of like understanding. And we might call
0: that first one, yeah, solving soccer. soccer. Yeah. Obtaining insight into a player or team or season. That's the solving soccer stuff. Two is the recruiting stuff. Yeah. And those are maybe more entwined. I don't know. I I don't want to keep talking about baseball because I don't know anything about baseball, but. But but I, those are I know those are fundamentally intertwined they're, we treat them as separate questions but they're not really
1: yeah and it ultimately is probably one of the the difference between baseball and soccer right is in, in that exact place is probably one of the reasons why he's skeptical of mm-hmm. moneyball mm-hmm. money ball working and, it, and it's also i could just reflect over the history here of blogging that it's probably one of the the, the main ways things go off the rails
0: in terms of analysis um, but it is it is still, I think, conceptually useful to separate the solving soccer from the recruiting good soccer players.
1: That's right. So he says there's a persistent desire to obtain information about the game beyond the subjective analysis of playing strategy or a player's effectiveness in a particular formation. It's possible to generate a lot of data about any sporting event. and only makes sense to attempt to develop some metrics that enhance subjective understanding unfortunately the majority of conventional sports statistics are useless for obtaining an accurate reliable understanding of what is going on and he says big parentheses screaming that doesn't stop reporters and pundits from relying on them to make any argument especially in the usa Shit, um, he got me there yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, um, this conclusion motivated bill james and other sabermetricians to uh, develop better statistical methods or metrics in baseball in soccer, these conventional statistics are even more useless for obtaining any kind of insight as they are often incomplete, imprecise, or irrelevant. For example, it's possible that a team that wins a match will have more shots on goal or more corner kicks, but soccer fans everywhere can recall many matches where the losing team created a lopsided number of shots or corners. These are examples of statistics that are not reliable indicators of performance as currently applied.
0: And that conclusion right there stopped me in my tracks. Uh-huh. I... I just thought it was very strange to say that the fact that a, a team can get more shots than another team and still lose the game meant that that was not a reliable indicator performance. Uh, it seems like if that's what we're saying, then the only reliable indicator of performance is goals. And yet Howard knows better than that. And he's going to tell us better than that later on. So I was curious why he stopped here. In baseball, you can get more hits than the other team lose. I, I think that happens a lot. You can get more total bases. You know, you yeah. can throw in the walks that were one of Bill James' inside. Bases matter more than hits. You can still lose the game. Does that mean yeah. that those aren't reliable indicators of performance?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and I think he's maybe perhaps mostly just taking a shot at the sort of more basic nature of stats. I mean, corner kicks is maybe an mm-hmm. easier illustration on this one. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we know uh and and we talked about it in the first post, right? Shot volume and and conversion of shots are two dimensions that you could account for mm-hmm. quantity of shots. And we also know that the history of analytics will move in a direction of like goal probability. So it's it's an interesting sentence to end a paragraph on. Uh,
0: yeah, and and I think what he's really pointing us to is that the disconnect between performance and results in soccer. Yeah. And that's a real problem, uh, not just for this post, but for all soccer analytics ever.
1: That's right. That is a that is a truth about the game that makes it different. The mm-hmm. the the scale of that despair, that scale of that variance, right?
0: That's um, right. I, I think that if you get more hits and walks or bases, whatever metric you choose in baseball, you're gonna win more often than not at the game level and certainly over the hundred and sixty two game season in soccer, it just all seems like crapshoot
1: it's chaos yeah so (laughs) it's chaos yeah so you you have to uh, that's a great point you have to talk in terms of probability right Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. will be a huge a huge theme throughout so he keeps going though and he wants to talk about so that was him talking about the first kind solving soccer and then and that he says and that brings us to the second objective which is to identify talent we would like to develop and refine statistics in order to identify the elite players, the undervalued players, parentheses, those who might be better than the conventional statistics indicate, and overvalued players, friends, those whose performances are not as good as conventional statistics would indicate. Mm. Uh, The first category is important to demonstrate the efficacy of the statistic. The best as identified by the statistics should be the ones that you would expect to this end a couple of billy bean soccer statistics have some promise the second okay, or third on. let's
0: let's yeah. let's stop here for just a second um it's it's interesting that he starts off with undervalued and overvalued players and he's really and he says players who might be better or worse than the conventional statistics indicate i don't know what conventional statistics he's imagining at this point or or actually looking at other than goals yeah, uh, they they had I mean, assists as of the '90s. There weren't that many stats out there on players, but the but the idea is, he's not saying there is a valuation of a player that's common knowledge and statistics will show us the true value. He's saying, let's find the true value that shows why these statistics are wrong, which in a way is a very money ball type of move because. They were looking at some very well-ingrained statistics and saying, let's show yeah. why these statistics are wrong, not let's use statistics to show why everybody else is wrong.
1: That's a good point. Like in baseball, there's this existing infrastructure of basic statistics that was mainstream accepted probably. I mean, I know there, are the, in the movie there's the scouts that are talking about the player's girlfriend and his chin and how he, how he looks when <laughs> the he's swinging, the, girlfriend, the, the sound of the ball coming off the bat. But but baseball did have these stats, right? And they mm. to, to an extent, they were normalized. And I think what you're calling out here is that's a huge difference, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then he says something a little bit mysterious here that we've tried to look up and haven't quite figured out. But yeah. he says, Billy Bean's statistics in soccer have some promise, which seems to suggest either either that Billy Bean who as he says is working with the San Jose earthquakes at this point has developed some soccer stats and these are somehow public knowledge in a post that we haven't dug up yeah, from the wayback yeah. machine yet or that he's just saying Billy Bean statistics the way that he thinks about stats and moneyball as applied to soccer that those have some promise maybe that's the way that we're supposed to read that sentence.
1: yeah, as an idea yeah. So, and then, so to keep going, he says the second and third categories are important from the standpoint of a head coach or general manager who's seeking to retool a squad. Are there potential gems in the player market who can be obtained for a discount? Are there players who should be sold before they drop too much in market value? Is it possible (laughs) to find through objective statistical analysis players who rightly or wrongly traditional scouting and subjective approaches have missed?
0: So now we're, we're firmly in the realm of recruiting. We're not solving soccer. And yet he's going to pivot out of that. I
1: think in a second. Yeah, he will. You know, that, that's a great point. And I mean, just to pause on this quickly. I mean, obviously, we know that soccer has this financialized aesthetics of buying and selling players. We don't need to uh, solve that in today's episode. You know, it's a it's a uh, tick of mine and a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and we maybe one day we'll talk more about transfer fees and transfer values. But he acknowledges that if you thought money ball was important in baseball because of trades and value that way and the draft and farm systems and all this stuff, soccer has this very much like direct, a player has a market value perhaps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's at least a, a theoretical idea that yeah. players can have price tags. And so one job of statistics should be to put better price tags on the players.
1: Yeah. And it maps directly over. So I want to return to your comment where he's, He's just laid out this more player identification uh, facet of Moneyball, but he's about to, on the one hand, pivot back to soccer solving. But on the other hand, he's talking about sort of how he might go about evaluating a player. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he says, I believe, everybody sit down for this. (laughs) He He says, I believe that a useful statistic in soccer will ultimately contribute to what I call a, quote, expected goal value
0: holy shit, expected goal value. What does that mean? Nobody knows what that means. It's 2008. That phrase doesn't mean anything to anybody.
1: That's exactly right. What we know today as expected goals is something entirely different, published mm-hmm. in 2012, around before then, but we can try to investigate that. But he says, what I call a quote, expected goal values, M-. Uh, <laughs> for any action on the field in the course of a game, the probability, Ability that said action will create a goal one might obtain certain types of data from actions associated with the various positions what i have below is not exhaustive i'm just starting the discussion
0: so he's okay yeah so so before we get into his list of stats what he calls expected goal value is not what we think of as expected goal value post 2012.
1: yeah and in theory there's listeners here that don't know what we mean by expected goal value but let's be honest most most people do how how we Uh, use it now
0: is the probability their shot will score a goal
1: that's right shot we call it shot based xg right that's what that's what xg becomes known as and he's not talking about that um or he he, is
0: but that's a tiny subset of what he's talking about
1: that's right right. that's right he's talking about i mean what is really the underlying truth of soccer that there is always the probability of a goal happening at any moment over some time duration over some other account of possession mm-hmm. a probability of a team scoring before the happens before the game ends any number of ways you can slice this there exists this dark matter uh, between mm-hmm. all of the things that we account for in soccer at all times there's a probability that a goal will be scored anytime and this you know you can roughly measure this by your heart rate if you're a fan watching the game uh as the ball moves into certain areas as disrupting events occur, tackles and interceptions, entries into the box, entries in the final third, shots on goal, all these things are the, what your heart is picking up on your brain is the the changing probabilities that a goal is
0: about to be scored. I love that. The the first expected goal value is the fans pulse in the stands.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, but he, I mean, he's not working with this, I, I call it again, bag the baggage of what we now know as XG, this shot based, focused thing a thing that comes out for a number of reasons and data reasons we will get to it but he's talking about just he's like I'm just watching the game I know that every time something happens in the game the goal probabilities are scoring are are changing the probability of a goal scoring is changing
0: that's right and we can talk about it that way in terms of the fans polls but that's not really how Howard's thinking about it he is very focused on let's do this a statistical way what can we measure and then from the things that we can measure, which of those things is relevant to the probability of a goal happening in some time period?
1: Yeah. So here's his list. You know, it's 2009. The goalkeeper saves, goals conceded, penalty kicks conceded, corner kicks conceded, passing and distribution percentages, balls won. So he even has the keepers doing something besides saving shots. He's, you know, they're, yeah. they're clearing balls. Like it's this is this is really good stuff. Defender goal kicks forced that's a really inter- interesting one like as in there's a mm-hmm. danger there's a goal probability that it is extinguished to a large extent via a goal kick being forced mm-hmm. uh, balls won and lost corner kicks conceded fouls conceded penalty kicks conceded you know those are those are heavy ticket items in probability mm-hmm. passing percentage mm-hmm. for midfielders he says passing percentage balls won loss, assists fouls conceded fouls won corner kicks forced shots goals for strikers he's got shots goals passing percentage, balls one loss, corner kicks forced, fouls one.
0: Yeah. And, and I love this list because again, this is essentially carte blanche imagining what soccer stats could look like. And if I open sofa score right now and, you know, click open a game, he's listed off 90% of what I'm going to see there. Even though I don't think that these stats were widely available or or discussed at the time, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah. and, And there's a little bit of a tension between some of the, 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 the counting nature of some of these stats or the percentage nature of some of these stats and how I think we would think about something like a possession value model today, or just another, a, a more continuous way of measuring goal probability. But I think it's all there
0: when he's described. And, and I don't think that we even need to bring in this other term, yeah. like possession value, because it essentially is what he's described as expected goal value, the probability that yes. the goal is going to happen. So even though all the stats that he just listed off here for different positions sound like the stuff that we see on the internet today when we look up soccer stats, if we open FB ref or who scored or whatever, that's not yeah. really how he's thinking about them. No. He's just thinking about them as actions on the field that we could record uh, if we wanted to. I assume probably he's heard of Opta, probably knows that people are right. recording these things, but he, yep. he doesn't have it. We, we could record all these different things, but the question shouldn't be, how many of these things did people do? That's right. Yeah. It should be, it, do these things affect that expected goal value?
1: That's right. It is, it is such a. I I want to cherish this moment in time where this is what expected goals means, right? Because I think <laughs> that's what it should mean. I mean, yeah. and I think the famous, you know, before we move on, like there's the, I think Devin said it, I don't know who he said it to, Devin Pluehler.
0: He said I it to Joshua Clokey in The Athletic in 2018. Okay.
1: I'll, I got this on yeah. lock I think he said XG is a shit metric but a good unit of account. Is that right? A
0: a, a shit metric or a shit stat, but a great framework. Yeah. Yeah. Great cool Okay. Yeah. So and I so think So here we here we don't have the stat at all. This is building the framework and that's how it right. nails that framework part right away.
1: That's right. So he continues, um, you know, just really drill down this exact thing by just looking at those acts it should be apparent that some precision will be required for example a foul committed 70 meters from the goal or it, it is a is a foul committed 70 meters from goal the same as one conceded just outside the penalty area hmm. what's a good shot on goal or what is a high percentage shot on goal that's a mm-hmm. that seems pretty early for him to be saying high percentage shot on goal what is a good pass in quotes uh what of the passages that remember most uh, one of the passages i remember the most from moneyball was how much the sabermetricians had to rethink what they thought they knew about the game of baseball what comprised a good hit what statistics was the best indicator of future success in the majors and so on
0: mhm so here he's sort of inventing soccer statistics and also saying at the same time that we need to do the moneyball move and Ignore those stats and figure out which ones matter for winning. uh The fact that he goes immediately to what is a high percentage shot shows us yeah. that he is not thinking about counting stats. That he is thinking about how do these events, these actions, contribute to expected goal value. Not all fouls are the same, obviously, yeah. right? The value of a foul at one part one part of the field is not the same as the value another part. Not yeah. all shots are the same, obviously. Although, again, this is not obvious, like. We saw Chris Anderson and Sarah Rudd working through these questions. Uh, that's right. That year or a year later, uh, so it, it, it wasn't obvious that we should record all these stats and immediately try to determine their expected goal value. That's what I love about this post.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, I mean he's so he's so casually says shot percentage. He's like, yeah, yeah, one of these things is shot xg. <laughs> right, you know, right. I mean, but
0: Jesus that's just Christ. a tiny little thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to say that he solved soccer analytics because what we're about yeah. to get to the way that he thinks about this, I think isn't complete or at least he, he poses all the right problems, but, but he's maybe missing some stuff that, you know, is eventually going to develop down the road.
1: Yeah. So he says, so there are a lot of interesting questions in soccer that could be addressed with a systemic statistical approach, but why am I skeptical about its success? One reason is the sheer complexity of soccer. Technically speaking, this is another gray line. Soccer is an example of a piecewise, continuous, highly nonlinear, stochastic, dynamical system.
0: I was just saying that to the lads down at the pub, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Importantly, he immediately says this preposition in layman's terms, right? Uh, soccer is nonstop pre-flowing for the most part and subject to a lot of improvisation within a team structure. And he says, the things that we love about the game, yeah, which is also is great. Absolutely. Uh, he, so he so says, he's
0: already setting us up for, even though he said a foul 70 yards from a goal is not the same as the foul at the end edge of the penalty area, even yeah. if we had locations for fouls, that wouldn't give us everything because soccer is a very free-flowing game and we need more context than just the location of events.
1: And he says, but it's not a game that will permit its secrets to be known with total precision or even a high level of decision which is obviously right Mm -hmm. and is right today um he says the problem arises when we use statistics without understanding either their purpose or their limitations not just in sports but in other fields there are problems that will keep academics occupied for the rest of their careers in the area of stochastic dynamical systems or hybrid dynamical systems or probability and statistics this dude is a rocket scientist he knows he knows how hard this stuff is (laughs) He's,
0: that's right. A, a lot of analytics people like me come at this stuff and we say, well, you know, let's just count up the oh, stats. Yeah. And the guy who had more stats, who did bigger numbers, is the better player. And like, that's obviously stupid and wrong. And Howard sees from the get go that, hey, the stuff that I work on professionally is really, really hard. And you have to spend your whole life specializing in it to get anywhere. And soccer is really, really hard. And it's not going to be that easy.
1: Yeah. He would love it if it was. But yeah. And he says, in order to make individual problems tractable, it's necessary to make some approximations and simplifications. And by doing so, the richness and unpredictability that you see in soccer is lost. How would the resulting findings be applicable to understanding the real game? I believe this issue gets into the dilemma of capturing the system dynamics of soccer at the risk of creating an intractable problem versus creating a tractable problem that has no relevance to the actual game.
0: And that last sentence is a little bit wordy, but I like yeah. what he's getting at here. I like that he's saying, we can do an easy problem. We can do counting stats, yeah. but it's not actually going to be useful. Or we can do the hard problem, and he thinks that we should just despair of the hard problem right away.
1: Yeah, that's his instinct, right? Even though I'm sure he he would he would love to take a shot at, and he says this here. But uh, so... He says, my second reservation lies in the sheer amount of data required to make an accurate and useful metric. And we're getting to the end of this post, by the way. So which would limit its efficacy in some parts of the world. This is the challenge of taking measurements from a nonlinear dynamic system. Before my current job, I worked as a researcher in experimental and computational fluid dynamics. And I can assure you that obtaining measurements from a nonlinear system is not an easy task. For soccer, one would need video analysis that includes player and ball tracking.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: For which one would need at least three cameras at each match and video processing software Mm -hmm. i was going to say this would be a difficult task but in july a group of italian researchers and he sends a link over to a a paper at an international conference in canada um they presented such a system at an international conference in canada in parentheses it says if they're smart they'll license it and make a lot of money i could see this system being feasible in north america parts of latin america Europe, East Asia, and Oceania, but not in some parts of the world that are much for parentheses Africa, some parts of South America, and the Caribbean. And those latter areas are where you are more likely to find undervalued players. So he pulls it back to Moneyball, right? Yeah. Over several paragraphs of like basically summing up soccer uh, on the difficult, but he pulls it back to Moneyball where it matters for a GM, right?
0: Yeah, and and I like that. Like the real reason that he's despairing of the hard problem isn't that he thinks it's not doable. He thinks that it's very hard, but he's saying the data availability won't be financially feasible, which is still to some extent true. Uh, obviously, he didn't yeah. foresee uh, you know, tracking data derived from video, which is a big thing now that helps people to scout all these leagues where they don't have cameras set up. But, but he knew that tracking data was going to be essential to really measuring the sport the way that it deserves to be measured and to getting any kind of really useful yeah. insight.
1: For the Yeah, I mean, you've heard, um, if you've been around the, the blogs for years now, I mean, it's been, I don't know, it's probably been like six or seven years of, if only we had tracking data, we could solve this one problem (laughs) that we're otherwise stuck on, right? And at a certain point, I got really annoyed at that. And um, I was like, surely there's more we can do. And I think there is still, but I think very recently, I was just like, actually, tracking data is exactly, I mean, it's it's what he's talking about here, like all these changes in goal probability, they're contingent on off-ball movement, they're contingent upon all these other things that we can't see in the event data not that he had all this event data to begin with there so
0: that's right and at this point event data did exist in an early form tracking data did exist in an early form he's going to very quickly figure out that these things are real and out there he's already pointed to a white paper about it but that's not really the issue it's it's the issue is not can we get these things but even if we get these things Uh can we apply them to soccer which is impossible which is you know it's 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 not as easy as counting up passing percentages and goal kicks drawn what was it that he said like even if we invent yeah. very clever stats yeah it, that it, doesn't get us to the measuring performance part that he identified at the outset
1: because he honors here that the reason we love soccer is this quality of it mm-hmm. so he then he says in conclusion wildly there is a wealth of interesting academic and practical problems in order to create a quantitative understanding of soccer. In the end, the game won't permit itself to obtain that kind of understanding with sufficient precision to make such an approach feasible. I'm willing to be proven wrong on the latter point, and I'm willing to pursue some of these research problems myself with some funding from a club, of course. That's the name of the
0: post. <laughs> Brings it back to money questions at the very end, yeah. right, yeah. What a, what a great first post for a blog that's been running for 13 years about soccer stats. This yeah, is hopeless. I, Let's keep going. I,
1: I couldn't really believe it when I found it. Um, and I, I, if there's one thing we want to accomplish in this episode, like people need to know about this and they need to know about Howard. He's always been there. The people that are in the industry know, but there's, I'm sure there's so many people that don't. And he's really humble about this. If you ask him, if he like invented soccer analytics blogging, he will just tell you no, but I can't, I, I can't really, there's, I'm sure he's right in a sense there, but he's, he's, I mean, this post is so early. Uh, mm-hmm. To the point where he's, you know, he doesn't have the blog roll of other blogs at this point. It's it is incredibly early, um, and I, I also think it's so it's it's probably worth just reflecting on. Right, we know where soccer blogging, analytics blogging will sort of go mostly, or what it will be focused on for the next decade plus, and it it focuses a lot on like the shot xg thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. It's, it's wrong to flatten it that way. And we're going to hit some great stuff that is not that, but it definitely goes in that direction in the public sphere. Um, it's unclear, right? You know, this other idea, this more, this more, what he, you know, his original idea of what expected goals means—the change in probability of any given action or any given moment on the pitch. You know, this might go underground into clubs at this point or already be there. Um, so yeah. there's a world in which this is what we've been talking about only instead of what in my mind is really only the last handful of years where possession value models and expected threat and these sorts of things are talked about today. So it's it's interesting to think back on an alternate universe here that starts with this post. That's
0: right. Yeah, and one thing that I love about this post is that he's coming at it not from love of statistics, although he clearly loves the technical side, but he's coming yeah. at it from love of the game and respecting the impossible fluidity of the game, how difficult it is to understand. And I think that there's a temptation uh, with stats to say anything that we measure, this is knowledge. And we now know more about the game than people who don't have this knowledge, who don't have this stat. And that's not his attitude. His attitude is it's very easy to have false knowledge, to have bad stats, because, again, that's what Moneyball was about. It was about having bad stats and thinking that they had solved baseball and then yeah. having to unthink that. And his attitude is very Beckett. You know, I can't go on. I'll go on. Very. <laughs> we yeah, we should despair of this and yet keep working at it because it's interesting because we love the game.
1: Yeah. They're, if there are God fearing men, he's like a soccer fearing man here. He is respecting. <laughs> he is respecting the the mysteries of the game he talks about its secrets that will not be uncovered and these sorts of things and you're and you're totally right i think there's a propensity today to have the numbers to say i've got the accounting therefore i've got objective truth he who does not believe this is surely a heretic and i i can i can bring him you know the gospel of the numbers or something and I, and howard's definitely starting a different spot it, it's also interesting because when you go way back in soccer analytics and I'm, I'm still trying to sort of pin together where this is, you do get these sort of what what were to rise at the time as black box player rating systems that are out there. Yeah. Um, like the, the Castrol Index is, I think maybe the first iteration of it shows up at the Euro 2008 tournament. But then it's not it's not until after this post, like later in 2009, that they sort of officially launched the Castrol Index, which I think we'll get to at some point.
0: Yeah, Um, that's a whole other
1: conversation. It is, but it's like, those are at least the spirit of this, which is there's all this stuff that happens on the field. How could we possibly value it in a way that identifies who the best players are? Hmm. And then it's just a question of execution, transparency, and all these different things. So it's I just want to stress that there's, this, this is very much old world analytics, this post, and it has this very, this concept that we, we talk about a lot more in the last couple years, but did not for a long time. Um, and some people did. We'll cover that too. We know we talked mm-hmm. about Sarah, Sarah, and the Markov chain stuff. But it's like there was also this old world where this this could have been the only direction that this stuff went in, like player rating systems based on every touch a player took, and then companies battling over which system was right and. Mm-hmm. And blogger is doing the same thing, but it sort of doesn't go that way. Exactly.
0: Um, That's so right. it's and it, and it doesn't go that presenting. way for a few reasons. I think one is data availability and we'll keep talking about that. Yeah. Another one is that Howard is absolutely right. Uh, that this, the, this stuff is very, very hard and to yeah. do it, you know, to really do it justice, you would need tracking data. You would need to be a literal rocket scientist you know, or t- really team of people to move yeah. this well forward. And when you're individual bloggers working on stuff, you just want a problem that you can make some progress on. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have the hubris that you think the one problem that you're working on has solved soccer. Although we did collectively fall down that hole for like a decade. Um, But at some point, like Howard says, like, if he's going to keep blogging about this, going to keep thinking about this, even though you recognize that the real problem, the real thing that you're trying to measure is so hard and so almost unattainable, you You need to work on something little pieces of things and and that's why I think the Chris Anderson and Sarah Rudd blog approaches where we take one stat, we discuss it, we kick it back and forth to each other, uh, and we move the ball forward that way. That kind of conversation continues, even though all these people know that the game is hard to solve
1: yeah we are we are lucky that they didn't that people didn't just read this post and give up and shut it all down. <laughs> instead, I kind of want have,
0: to, reading it now, I kind of want to. I
1: know, up. it is It is a beautiful death. Uh, soccer Analytics, it could have been. Um, but instead, we have this blogging community, as you mentioned. We ended the first episode with the the meetup at Sloan. I mentioned there was a website they sort of jointly created to house all the soccer analytics stuff going forward. I realized I didn't mention what that was. Uh, mm-hmm. it is It is www.socceranalysts.com it is deleted but you can find it on the wayback machine and i would encourage people to do that because you know again this is a great sort of full summation of soccer analytics and it's, it's brilliant that it happened then we're lucky that it that was not the end of it because we have all these great blog posts to go back and read and podcasts to do
0: and we don't actually know which one we're going to do next because like we said yeah. there are many beginnings to this thing. we've already talked about so many different things that we want to talk about, uh, in, in future episodes. Yeah. So we don't really have a next episode to tease right now because we're going to, I don't know,
1: yeah, The problem next, next week. <laughs> the problem is not that we don't have the next place to go. The problem is that we have like 30. Um, that's right. So, and part of that is, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a bunch of different, um, choose your own adventure paths. We can go from here for a minute before we get out of these very early years. And they're all important. Um, uh, but another reason is um we get feedback after these episodes we got good feedback after the first one and and people jumped in the direct messages to talk about different places to go people to talk to to make sure we're sort of covering all of this and, and capturing as much as we can so I, you know we that's welcome right. that sort of feedback i would say yeah. you know jump yeah. S- yeah send john or i a message um if you got something cool that that's way back that you don't want us to miss um and we'll we may ignore it or we may cover it. <laughs> uh, but but that's, again, from here on out, there will be many beginnings of soccer analytics blogging, of soccer tactics blogging
0: before we really get going. And they're all really interesting. That's right. So yeah, DM us, tweet at us. Uh, this podcast is itself a blog that has a comment mm-hmm. section, as a blog should have. So if you want to do it that way, whatever. Um, but yeah, let's make it a conversation. God, that's really corny, but it should be that way. Yeah, it's very cool. All right. Thanks everybody for listening and uh, see you next time.
1: See you guys later.